Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. I think the people of this country have had enough of experts. The science has changed. If you changed. count the legal votes, I we easily agree. win. Go for a short it is time to get the bricks done. This candle smells like my vagina. It's supposed to be so here. What I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. What the fuck is going on? Part of the Acast Creator Network. Also available on Patreon. Hello, I'm Mark Steele. Welcome to my podcast, where each week I ask the question, what the fuck is going on? What the fuck is going on? Are all the royals connected to something highly illegal? The moment Andrew settled his case, we found out that Charles's charity is being investigated by the police. When that's settled, we'll learn that Princess Anne carried out a series of diamond heists in a gang in the East End of London, and Princess Michael of Kent was the getaway driver, but she arrived with a horse so the others all got caught. Documents will be found proving the Queen Mother spent the 1980s breeding vicious corgis for dogfighting behind the wheelie bins at Balmoral. And then we'll discover the reason we never see Prince Edward is he spends all year dismantling the cannons that fire the 21-gun salutes and sells them to North Korea. And Camilla runs an operation from Windsor Castle, selling knocked-off transit vans where she's known as Cam the Slam for her habit of slamming anyone against the drawbridge if they're late with their payments. Prince Andrew's next move will probably be to send out thousands of emails saying, Hello, I am British Prince with Castle and lot of millions of pounds, exclamation mark. Before I just need £12 million to pay someone, then I can get crown jewels. If you help me, I will shall make you rich, exclamation mark. The Prince was desperate to prove his innocence, so it's hard to understand why he settled out of court when his case was so solid. His alibi was that he was in a pizza express in Woking and his accuser said he was sweaty in a club when he has a condition that means he can't sweat. Now, some people have asked how he could have been in a pizza express, but not a single person remembers seeing him there, despite him being Prince Sodding Andrew. So he'd have had the opportunity to explain that he also has a condition that makes him invisible. Or maybe he has a little torch that makes everybody forget what they've seen, like the agents in Men in Black. But whatever the reason, it's a sign of his generosity that he would rather give away £12 million than explain how innocent he is, which is what he wanted to do. Now, it's traditional that whether you're innocent or guilty should be decided by 12 good men and true. And all he's done is amend that slightly. So now what decides whether you're innocent or guilty is 12 million good pounds and true. He was adamant that he'd never met the woman who accused him. So we should all follow Andrew's example and pay 12 million pounds to people who we've never met, as this would provide an instant boost to the economy. And it all proves what brilliant value for money our royals are. See, people often defend the monarchy by saying they bring in a lot of tourists. And that's true, because people from around the world will come here saying, 
We'll just be happy wandering around Barnsley Shopping Centre as long as we're in the same country as a prince who paid £12 million to a woman that he can prove he never had sex with because he doesn't sweat. See, they're worth every penny. Now, Royal Correspondent Nicholas Witchell asked... What of Andrew's future? Could there possibly be a route back to a public role? Perhaps the answer is for him to pledge support the fight against sex trafficking. What? You expected Nicholas Witchell to carry on? Maybe if he was to surround himself with a couple of dozen teenage girls and hang around with them day and night and not traffic any of them for a whole week, then that could go some way towards restoring public confidence in the former prince. Because that is the most important thing in these sorts of cases. Is there a way back for the criminal? If Nicholas Witchell had been the BBC's medical correspondent when Harold Shipman was convicted, I expect he'd have asked, Is there a way back for Harold Shipman? How can he become a GP again after this? Perhaps the answer is to make him patron saint of old age pensioners and then Boy Scouts have to take tinned fruit every year around to the old people on St Harold's Day. So what is Andrew going to do? He could promote a new scheme like the postcode lottery. Each week, the name of everyone in Britain who's never had sex with Prince Andrew or never even met him will be put into a huge drum and then he pays out £12 million to one of them at random. Or perhaps he could set up an insurance company. Following the current storms, there will be thousands of insurance claims for broken roofs and fences. So Prince Andrew, with his company, which he can set up as he's got even more time on his hands now, can assess the damage and then come round and say, there's absolutely nothing broken at all. You didn't even have a roof or a fence. In fact, you didn't even have a policy with us. So here's 12 million quid. But if Andrew was really smart, instead of paying all that money, he'd have handed the investigation to Sue Gray and insisted the party he went to at Epstein's house was a workplace meeting. Oh, what the fuck is going on? Now, in spite of the combined efforts of Boris Johnson and Liz Truss, the situation in Ukraine seems to be worsening. We were hoping to have the Secretary of NATO, General Jens Stoltenberg, to explain the situation. But unfortunately, he's broken his toe due to a curling injury. But instead, we're very lucky to have with us, to explain the situation, deceased cricketer Fred Truman. Well, I'm in this country, what do you call it? I'm in Ukraine or something. I mean, I don't know. I mean, in my day, we had proper countries. <laughs> we had Ceylon, Siam, Rhodesia. And then there was Mesopotamia, Brigadoon, the Holy Roman Empire. I mean, nowadays, if you go to a travel agent and ask for a package holiday to the Holy Roman Empire, they don't know what you're talking about. I mean, I don't know what they teach them these days. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I remember one match against Carthage up at Scarborough, their opening batsman, Hannibal. He came out to bat on an elephant. I mean, first ball, I got him plumb in front, appealed for trunk before wicket. The umpire gave it not out. He said it had clipped his tusk. I mean, in those days, we didn't have slow motion replays or whatever it is. You just had to get on with it. I mean, I don't know. I mean... Now they say there's going to be a war or some sort of, I don't know. I mean, these soldiers we've sent out there, travelling in luxury planes and helicopters or what have you. I mean, in my day, if you went to war, you had to go to the railway station and buy your own ticket. 
and I mean, we couldn't afford first class. I mean, I can tell you that. I, I travelled to the Franco-Prussian War in the luggage rack. I shot an Austrian, still got back in time to take four for 31 against Worcester. But, I mean, no, I mean, soldiers these days, they just go, they can't be bothered. I give up. What the fuck is going on? Well, as anybody knows, I was going to say if you listen to this podcast regularly, but even if you don't, it's obvious that it is not possible to work out what the fuck is going on without expert assistance. I think Descartes was the first person to realise this. So I am privileged to have with me not only somebody who's an expert, but also a colleague, I'm proud to say, at the Daily Mirror, Mr Brian Reid. How are you, sir? I'm all right, Mark. Feeling good, mate. After such a great week's news, you know what I mean? You can't just help but feel chipper, can you, eh? It's just cheery, cheery, cheery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should I'm speaking to you from the Southbank Centre where I am today for a, a peculiar reason. So it's possible that there will be a castanets class that I'm not aware of <laughs> that will begin in a minute. I don't know. So that's possible. Well, listen, I was going to ask you, you might hear a little noise from outside my house, which you'd be surprised to hear. If I can say to you, any noise you're going to hear in Garston, Liverpool, yes. uh, 10 to 4, on this afternoon, whenever it is, all the stereotypes of, what do you reckon it could be? Oh, someone nicking a car. <laughs> Actually, my neighbour's <laughs> taking his coach house down. <laughs> That's true. It's an old house. And I thought, I better tell Mark, there might be a bit of noise because my neighbour's taking his coach house down. Brilliant. What? A coach house? Yeah. It hasn't used it for 150 years, but it's, uh, it was crumbling, yeah. A coach house in Garston. Brilliant. Now, the first thing, Brian, over the years you've written thousands and thousands of columns in the Daily Mirror, and quite often you've touched on the subject of the royal family. And um, I'll be honest with you, I can't quite work out, are you, are you for or against the monarchy? You're always very ambiguous. Oh, you know what? I was for it right up to this week, and now I've just <laughs> suddenly gone against it. I don't know why. That's Actually, you touched on what really annoys me about the whole debate. There are loads of people like that. I think us Republicans are about 30% of us. So that means there's 70% who really think it's a great idea. Until something like this happens, or she doesn't go down after Diana's death to put a flower outside Buckingham Palace. And then it's all, oh, we've got to get rid of them, didn't she? Out of bastards. Yeah. Yes. I agree with you. I think in a way that monarchists who say, oh, the Queen's doing a marvellous job. I think they're not actually doing very good jobs at being a monarchist. That's not a monarchist argument, because the argument is that you should have whoever's bloody there. You're not there because you're good. She didn't go for an interview. And, oh, do you know the Queen? She started out as a humble princess in the post room and worked her way up. She's just the fucking Queen. That's it. Uh, In fact, the York MP, a Labour woman, has basically said, can we just disassociate ourselves from this man? We don't want him to be called Duke of York anymore. Yes. And and she's backed up with a poll in the local press which said 88% of York citizens don't want him now. Right. Well, what were they thinking before? (laughs) You know, when he was freeloading around the world, as Air Miles Andy, you know, dealing with all sorts of dodgy people in Kazakhstan and all of a sudden getting out a £17 million chalet in Verbier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, what, what did they think he was doing a great? He was great then? And now, we don't be associated with him. Yes, exactly. What was he doing? In fact, you could argue that at least when he was going to Epstein's house, at least he was doing something for his money. <laughs> in fact, he's more worth his money than the other royals. At least he's doing something. Yeah, I agree. And I think everyone would be really chuffed to know that the palace now will not say where this money's going to come from. Because he clearly hasn't got 12 million quid. He hasn't got two babies from together. That chalet is mortgaged to the hilt. Oh, right. He gets 250 grand a year pocket money off air. Yeah, yeah. So it's clearly going to come from the public purse. 
or as they say, the Duchy of Lancaster slush fund, which means it's effectively a tax dodge. That is a tax dodge there. She doesn't pay any tax. She writes tax off against oh, that. Right. So if it comes from that, if any amount of money comes from that, say it's just the two million to go to the charities, that means we're crowdfunding a nonce on the state. And that's what we're getting crowdfunded for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the one of the marvels of the internet. Or he could, <laughs> what would you get if you were doing community service? Let's say at the rate of eight pound an hour, that would be one million four hundred thousand hours of painting railings. If he was to do that for his twelve million, I wouldn't argue with that. Yeah, with a high vis vest on, be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> we, we we had a, the Daily Mirror had a great little expose about twenty five years ago. A fellow called Ryan Parry got into Buckingham Palace and acted as a footman oh, yes. for a month, and some great stories came out of it. But my favourite one was when he had to go in and open. Prince Andrew's curtains of a morning because he said to him, he says the same thing every day, fuck off! <laughs> as soon as the light came in, he'd yell everyone to fuck off and get out. He'd obviously been out a late one at Peter Express, you know, and he just, the light could be terrible coming in there. But I mean, this was a fella, there's a story a few years ago of him trying to knock down the, the gate man in Windsor Great Park. He, he, said, he said, get out my fucking way as he drove past him in his Bentley, you know. The man's obviously just a grade one shite, and he always has been, hasn't he, you know. Right. Well, it's a shame he's not shouting fuck off to the prison warders, I suppose. That'd be ideal. <laughs> Excuse me, can you open these bars? Close them over. I had a late last night. I don't want that light coming in. But you know, you know but I was also thinking, I do get slightly angry, and I think, because the saddest thing is now, we can't debate this. We can't debate any of the royals in the House of Commons. So the Charles Cashferanas, this, how long the Queen knew about this Andrew stuff and didn't say anything. Because in Erskine May, Derek Skinner's old favourite handbook, Erskine May, it says you're not allowed to mention the royal family unless it's to talk about the funding of them, so the civil list. Apart from that, you can't mention anything at all about them. And it's why every MP has to sign an oath of allegiance, not just to the Queen, but to all of their heirs. So if you're an MP now, you're safe in the knowledge you've actually signed an oath of allegiance to Prince Andrew. Imagine that one, eh? Imagine that. Yeah, I mean, what would Cromwell have thought if he come back now? He'd think, oh, for fuck's sake, I knew this was a mistake. Then you still haven't sorted it, you twat. <laughs> now, Brian, we have to talk about something else, which is that you've written a very, very fine book about your heroes, and um, they're not normal heroes. So can you, do you mind just sort of running through one or two of the people that you mentioned in there? Yeah, uh, well, you're in the chapter about the Liverpool Dockers, uh, Mark, aren't you? Yes, well, I'm glad to say I'm not the hero, but the Liverpool Dockers, <laughs> were, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just the way they kind of, you know... The, principles they they refused to cross a picket line and for three years they stood out against that principle almost and they, they lost in the end but they then the phoenix rose from the ashes they made the casa club uh it's just a social justice hub which is fantastic they, they took the thatcherite theory of uh free enterprise and set it up and and that's heroic they give out they give free advice to uh, anybody who walks in off the streets doesn't matter they give millions of pounds worth of it. We did a brilliant benefit for them when the Kazakh got in a little bit of, yeah. bit of trouble. I remember Jeremy Hardy, your old mate, once standing in the Kazakh. He did a lot of work because you, you both did stand-up stuff for them when, they were, when the dispute was on. And he said, turned around to me one night and said, um, I'm going to try and get this in the Book of Records, you know, the Kazakh. He says, well, the Guinness Book of Records? Went, yeah. So what for? He said, the, most, the place on earth where you'll hear the phrase, those Tory bastards said more times <laughs> in any given minute than anywhere else on earth. <laughs> Yes. But also, Brian, in your book of heroes is Muhammad Ali, yeah. who you spent a day with. That's right, yeah. I mean, there's not just about dogs. There are some well-known people in there, like Bill Shankly, Dennis Skinner, Jack Jones, Dorian Lawrence, people like that. But, um, yeah, 
Ali, that was a real, real honour. It was about 21 years ago, and I was just, I mean, like everybody, think of our age, you know, you're just in awe of this man. Everything yeah. about him, everything he did. I was his ranch in Michigan, and the first thing he said to me, you know, this man mountain stumble out of his, of his car. I was, I was at palpitations, I'm actually going to meet Muhammad Ali, you know. Comes up to me and he says, what colour are your socks? I says, black. <laughs> he says, show me. So he showed him the socks. He goes, yeah, they're black. I like black. I says, why? He says, because I'm black. I says, okay. <laughs> But he was just fantastic, you know. I mean, and then and it, because he was suffering from Parkinson's, it was hard at first to get into his speech patterns. You, you know, yeah, you really yeah, yeah. couldn't, and he would fall asleep. But he was, uh, yeah, he was, he was fantastic. One of the things I find, I often think about this. So he was my hero when I was ten. When he fought Frazier the first time, we all absolutely loved him. And I often think, how did? I identify, how did all the kids in Swanley, we didn't see a black person until I was about 14, I think, the first time I saw a black person. And in Swanley, in Kent, really, mm. the problems of Louisville and segregation didn't really, I don't know, it's hard to see how they would have connected with us. And yet somehow we were completely transfixed by this person. We all absolutely adored him. By the time he knocked over Foreman, he was the all-time hero. Yeah, it, I, I, I thought that myself. It's the way he looked, I think, as well. The way he spoke, he was, he, he was such a wit, wasn't he? Such, you know, such charisma. And we, we, I don't know, particularly after you know the whole Vietnam thing, we were really on his side. But it's interesting that because I asked a black mate of mine, who's a writer in Liverpool, what did he mean to you growing up? Because he wanted to get that perspective. And he said, well, this fella grew up in Kirby. He said the only other black family in Kirby were the Contes. So you can imagine the stick oh, that right, I got, right, right. yeah. Right, he said, right. and it was, you know, it was, it was kind of racially, uh, yeah, uh, shit, oh, every day. He says, and then Ali, when Ali fought and won, and everybody loved Ali, he'd go to school the next day, and there'd be a little bit of deference towards you. It's right. like you could be him, we can't be him. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. But, yeah. but more than that, he said, he said it was really interesting because this mate of mine, Mo, said, um, I just thought that was my problem, and I was the only one that was feeling it. This was just an issue down to me, this racism stuff. He says, and then there's the Enoch Powell's River of Blood speech, and it was on the news, and he saw all this hatred towards blacks across the country. And he thought, shit, it's not just Kirby. It's actually, it's actually all over England. And then he saw Ali standing up with that famous quote about why I ain't going to fight in the Viet Cong. You know? And he thought, oh, my God, this man is actually say, he's, he's saying what, you know, my whole race feels oppressed kind of thing. And so in the book, I call him the liberator, because it wasn't just that he was a fighter. It was that he kind of liberated, you know, I think a lot of people to believe they didn't have to take this shit. That's I always think about Ali. Yeah, I mean, it's a, I find it astonishing because all that, I'm just slightly too young to have known. I didn't understand, I didn't know. I barely knew that Vietnam War was going on. I just thought it was, I, I don't know, I think, this is a terrible thing to admit, I think when I was 13, I just loved him because he was funny. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, <laughs> but mind you, it's not quite, you know, but I also thought on the buses was funny and if Reg Varney had fought George <laughs> Foreman, I'd have been on Foreman's side, I'd probably... <laughs> Yeah, I think you had a bout with him once, didn't he, Rich? <laughs> we really are aiming for a young audience here, aren't we? On the buses references. So I'm going to mention the Wu-Tang Clan. Even that's pretty old. Uh, thank you very much, Brian. No problem, mate. And, uh, oh, the book, the name of the book. Oh, yeah, Diamonds in the Mud. Diamonds in the Mud. With all the money going to the casa. <laughs> Got to say that. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Brian. Lovely to have you. All right, Mark. An honour and a pleasure, sir. Now we know what the fuck's going on. This week, Boris Johnson had to hand in his completed questionnaire about the parties in Downing Street. Some people are very angry about him being asked to fill in a questionnaire, especially this woman who I heard on a phone-in show. 
Oh, I'm sick of it, Jeremy. Sick of it. Making him answer a questionnaire. It's police harassment. That's what it is. He's the Prime Minister. Why does he have to do quizzes on top of everything else? They'll be forcing him to go on University Challenge next and saying he has to go to jail if he can't answer which 19th century chemist discovered radon. It's disgusting. What about all the other people who have had parties? The Jamaicans over the road at a Halloween party. Only a handful of them were wearing masks. It was 1987, I remember it well. Why don't they question them about spreading COVID? There was a questionnaire in a magazine the other day. Has the lockdown affected your sex life? Is it A, better, B, worse or C, about the same? I put D, I'm sick of it. And how's Boris Johnson supposed to remember whether he was at a party or not? He was pissed! Can you remember everywhere you've been when you were pissed, Jeremy? Oh, I'm pissed now and I don't know where I am. I won't remember calling you tomorrow, Jeremy. Oh, I'm sick of it. Sick of it. So... If you would like to become a supporter of the podcast, which I would very much recommend, we are now on Patreon. If you follow the link on the Twitter page or search on Patreon, then you will find us there. WTF is going on. And for just £4 a month, you will become part of the What The Fuck Is Going On community, which is as tribal as anything has ever been. You will get an ad-free version of every episode, 10% off live shows, which we'll be doing later in the year, and you will be the first people able to go to the live shows in case millions of people want to go to them, which they inevitably will. And also, there are all sorts of bits of exclusive things on the Patreon accounts. And this week, there will be the full extended interview that I did with Victoria Corrin Mitchell, so, search for What The Fuck Is Going On on Patreon, help support this podcast, and you will hear the interviews with all those marvellous people. Now, lots of messages have come in from listeners this week. For example, at staking, one of many people to mention what the fuck is going on with privatising the moon. Now, this is a perfectly reasonable question to sort of, you know, these ideas are put out and would you believe it, there are other people who don't immediately go along with them. The Adam Smith Institute, that since the sort of 1980s has come up with all these marvellous ideas for how we can extend private enterprise, this week says we should privatise the moon. I wasn't aware that the moon was ever nationalised or lunarised. But they have very much argued that it should be privatised, that private companies should own it. But you know if the moon was privatised, you know what would happen. Within four years, the moon wouldn't be working and the tides would be upside down. And then the moon's shareholders would all be paid £50 billion each and the moon would have disappeared and it would be part of a different solar system. But they have seriously... Seriously suggested because they it makes them angry. Anything that isn't in private hands, it makes them angry. These Adam Smith Institute people must go outside of a night and look up, and when someone says, "Aren't the stars beautiful?" they must be going, "Yes, but they're not in private hands. They should be sold to come. Who owns that? There's a fucking star up there, and it's not owned by." Glaxo Smith Klein or anybody. It must make them just rage. So they've just got, okay, keep calm. Just start with the moon. We'll just sell off the moon to Southern Water. They can own it. Now, at Bald Paul 147 says, What the fuck is going on? A runaway tortoise that escaped four years ago has been found one mile away from its home in Fleetwood. 
Oh, now I did one of my in-town shows in Fleetwood. It was such a lovely little place because it's really been under the cosh, Fleetwood. It was invented in Victorian times by a sort of slightly eccentric aristocrat who decided to create a town because the trains would go up to the Lake District and get stuck because it was deemed impossible that the trains could ever get through the hills of the Lake District. And so he thought, I'll build this town, Fleetwood, because people will go to Preston as far as the trains can go. Then they can just nip across to Fleetwood, stay there a couple of days before getting the boat up to Scotland. And he spent years building this town, Fleetwood, and he got the finest sort of architects from Italy to come over and build an opera house and all sorts of things. And just as soon as it was built, the railway engineers went, oh, do you know what? We can get through the Lake District after all. And so this town was just completely pointless. But it's still there. And it's very lovely. People are lovely. And now it's in the news again for other reasons, which I'm very pleased to see. The reason being a runaway tortoise that escaped four years ago has been found up. I think that's not bad, a mile. At Hubmaker today says, I learnt that oranges are no longer suitable for vegans. What the fuck is going on? Now, I did look this up. It's a bit complicated. It turns out that because of Brexit, it is argued, <laughs> that these new oranges, now we can now accept these oranges that weren't acceptable under EU rule, and oranges that are in supermarkets now, they've got this chemical in them that is both like potentially dangerous, <laughs> but you know, it's marvellous. Once we don't have to conform to the bureaucracy of the red tape of the EU, we can have oranges that are full of chemical, but also... It's got bits of animal in it. It says not suitable for vegan. That is a marvellous benefit of Brexit. In fact, if they campaigned on it, if Nigel Farage had said, not only that, but once we've out of the European Union and we're no longer constrained with the ridiculous laws they have imposed on us as British people, we will be able to have oranges that are full of offal and meat. That will be one more benefit of leaving the European Union and finally, we must say thanks to Alan Thornley One, who suggested that this week we should ask our resident meteorological expert for his views on Storm Eunice. So here is our expert on Storm Eunice, George Galloway. Let me put it to you, Storm Eunice, your tempestuous celestial manoeuvrings which aspire to disrupt the British people with full apocalyptic menace, shall collapse in ignominious failure. Your biblical windiness is no match for my hat, which shall remain steadfast upon my head, a head, incidentally, which has been rubbed affectionately by Fidel Castro. Windmills may have duped Don Quixote, but I see through your skullduggery and in defiance of your blustery tyranny shall continue my normal daily pursuits, such as hanging out the washing, erecting a tent, participating in my daily game of outdoor ping-pong and landing an A380 aircraft at Heathrow Airport. Just as our predecessors withstood the bombardment of the Luftwaffe, so shall I laugh in the face of your pitiful low-pressure system and its concomitant velocity. That, Storm Eunice, if that is indeed your real name, 
is why I shall continue to defy your gale force winds as they rage a mere 200 miles south of where I am standing. What the fuck is going on? At this critical point in the inquiry of the human race into what the fuck is going on, we have to spread our questions amongst the population, including, would you believe, the young. That is why I bred someone some years ago in order that I could further this examination into this vital subject. So Elliot Steele is here with us now. Hello, Elliot. Hello. Quite often when we do this, you're away somewhere in Huddersfield or somewhere like that. And it's me that's away today. Uh, I'm in Uh Tewkesbury at the moment and you're in South London. Yeah, I was meant to be going to Portsmouth, but uh, the storm cancelled it. Well, the storm's ruined the trains and I, I just didn't trust it. Is that the modern language? The storm has cancelled your gig? Yes, my gig tweeted some very, very rude things about the trans community. And the, <laughs> the storm, storm got, got really, really upset. upset. <laughs> well, in fact, that's not all that far from what we're going to talk about, because I don't know uh, how closely you followed this, but Oliver Dowden, who is someone very senior in the Conservative Party, said this week that woke culture was actually weakening the West. It wasn't just something that he disagreed with, but that he thought it was weakening the West and was a bigger threat to the West than even hostile countries. You know, I don't know if he means Russia or Syria or whatever, that it's actually threatening the very magnificence and dominance of the West. Now, right. does this make any sense to someone of your age? I mean... It isn't, it isn't. Like, he's got a point, but he doesn't know why he's got a point. He's got a point. I think he means it in a way as, like, we should be strong and British and blah, 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 blah. But I think online discourse where people are getting triggered at anything and trying to tear anyone down, is that a whole ruining society? Not just wokeness and anything like that. Like, the idea that you have to give participation trophies to people and kids at a young age is stupid. Who does that, though? Schools over here. But that doesn't really happen. It does. It does happen. Well, and they get given a prize. Well, they get told, well done. They get told, whereas in somewhere like China, it's like, get out of the way. And that's why they're about to become the superpower, because that's what it requires. That's terrible. Why, um, you know, I play table tennis, right? So the people who ran the table tennis club went to China. One of the people who runs it is a very marvellous bloke called Wen Wei, who's Chinese. And they went over to his area and they went to this big leisure centre thing. And it was a table tennis academy for kids that were between 11 and 15 and there was about 200 of them there and that was their schooling was just table tennis table tennis and the day starts with one of the table tennis coaches delivering a lecture obviously it was hard to work out what they were saying but he delivered this lecture and at one point one of the kids smiled and giggled and he was dragged to the wall and made to stand for an hour with his hands above his head because he wasn't taking the table tennis lecture seriously. Now, that can't make for a stronger society, can it? I don't think it necessarily does. But then I think if you go too far the other way and go, well, what were you smiling again? Let's all stop and listen to this person smile. They are allowed to smile and giggle and laugh. And we as a society should listen to that. Sometimes you've got to shut the fuck up, I'm talking. And that it's like a balance. It doesn't just have to be one or the other. It should be like, yes teach kids about gender pronouns and all of this stuff, 
I haven't got an issue with anything I like was that. Or what forever my, my... going backwards and forwards to the school when you were up there because you'd been... Do you remember when you did a maths exam and you just drew little stick men? No, I, t- I will tell you what happened. My mate next to me ended up drawing a dick on my paper when I wasn't looking. And so I had to try salvage it because I was like, I can't fucking hand this in. So what, instead of... So you, what, screwed up the picture of the dick and instead drew pictures of stick men and thought, well, this won't be so bad? Yeah. Why didn't you just answer some of the maths questions? I did answer the maths questions. It was just me getting the maths questions wrong. Wasn't going to detract from the massive throbbing cock that had been drawn on the book. Like, uh, what am I meant to do? Like, just hand that in and go... Oh, my mate drew a cock on it. Yeah, you say my mate's drawn a cock on it. Like, I don't want to snitch. And I'm just finding this out now about the stick men. Well, yeah. I also remember that you hadn't handed in an essay once and you had to write why you think you should be given more time. And do you remember what you wrote? No. You wrote that you haven't been able to let on about this until now, but you'd actually been contacted by some secret agents and you'd been in Russia spying (laughs) for the British government. (laughs) And I had. And they, you see what I mean? And because of this woke mob, I'm not able to fucking do that anymore. That's why wokeness is killing British government and British society. And that is what the fuck is going on. Thank you, Mr. Elliot Steele. Uh, just oh, hang on. What's your own? You've got a podcast. You've got an announcement. I do. I've started my own podcast with one of my best friends and comedians, Michael Wadawale, where each week you've heard the level of intelligence that I bring to this podcast. Or it's called BTEC Philosophy, which I've just had to delete from uploading because I managed to spell the word BTEC wrong. <laughs> and uh, yeah, each week we're going to be bringing our issues in our lives and answering them with uh, philosophical inquiries that we've been trying to learn about. And on any week that you haven't managed to do it, you will instead hand in a big cock on a piece of paper. Thank you, Mr. <laughs> Elliot Steele. <laughs> what the fuck is going on? Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We are now available on Patreon. So if you want to become a supporter, as all reasonable right-minded people do, and get ad-free versions and more, please sign up to that for just £4 a month. And if you've liked it, please subscribe, rate it. And if you can be bothered, write a review. If you can't be bothered, definitely write a review. If there's anything at all that you think I should be finding out what the fuck is going on with it, please send me a message on Twitter at WTF is going on pod and we will look at every message that you send. What the fuck is going on was hosted by me, Mark Steele, with my guests Brian Reed and Elliot Steele. Voices by Sarah Alexander. It was written by Mark Steele, James Serafinowicz and Pete Sinclair. Music by Willie Dowling. It was produced and edited by Scott and Matt at Podmonkey. What the fuck is going on is a co-production between Podmonkey and and Consec Industries.